episode 250, How to Make Patient-Collected Data Actionable for Shared Decision-Making. Today, I speak with Vicky Tiazzi from New York Presbyterian Hospital. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Patients, families, caregivers are generating data outside of the healthcare setting. They are tracking exercise, symptoms, blood pressure, and they're coming in for their appointments bearing stacks of printouts or their username and password on a little piece of paper and asking their clinicians to log into their accounts and check out the goings on. Clinicians, meanwhile, struggle to understand how to bring these data elements into provider environments so that the data can improve engagement and can improve care and outcomes. How can all this data be used to help patients better self-manage? Today, I speak with Vicki Tiazzi, a nurse informaticist and director of informatics strategy over at New York Presbyterian Hospital. We talk about the opportunities to use patient-collected data, but mostly we discuss the barriers and how to overcome them. We also consider the flip side to this, a new CMS role that mandates that providers must make provider-collected data available back to patients in a form of the patient's choosing. How does that fit into this picture? It's interesting to observe that there's at least two schools of thought emerging relative to which apps patients use. Or maybe a better way to put it, it's less about two schools of thought and maybe more like two phases to a larger goal. One might come before the other. One school of thought concludes that provider organizations should prescribe apps since it makes it easier on the back end to assimilate the data into clinical workflows and also hearkening back to the patriarchal origins of medicine, doctor knows best and should tell the patient what to do. The other school of thought concludes that patients should be able to pick their own apps that appeal to them. The place that these two priorities maybe, I'll say, merge is if apps are part of a trusted framework so that no one winds up with anything developed by Russian hackers. But yet the choice can still be left up to patients, but within, like I said, this trusted framework. Vicky will be speaking, by the way, at the Digital Medicine Conference sponsored by Node Health. That event is coming up on December 9th in New York City. Node Health, by the way, stands for the Network of Digital Evidence. Look it up on the web if you have questions. I will be at the Digital Medicine Conference. If you're going to be there too, please let me know. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Vicky Tiazzi, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Great. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about the massive amounts of data that patients are generating. What are they looking for from their provider? In Attaboy, you've been doing a great job with the exercise, or are they looking for some kind of diagnostic assistance or what do you say they're primarily or, or like kind of the maybe categories of what patients are after? They want to participate and they want to assist in their care. You know, there are two stories that come to mind. Recently speaking with a provider in the clinic setting, the provider said to me, hey, Vicki, you know what? I've got this patient that came in the other day they have an app with all of these data that they've been collecting from home, their weights, their blood pressures. 
And I wasn't sure what to do with that. And the patient was very excited, wanted to give me their app ID and password so I could take a look at it. They were willing to print many sheets of paper. And as the provider for that patient, I absolutely wanted them to participate in their care, share those data with me. But I just didn't know how to do that or does that work technically and how would I... Uh, represented in the electronic medical record. Uh, so I think there are, you know, some interesting questions around that. And then the other story, which actually came to me this past week, my friend's son actually was sent to the emergency room from soccer practice. And when he arrived in the emergency room, they did a workup on her son, wanted to do some cardiac tests. And her son said, mom, you know, give me my phone. And she said, you know, here you go. And it turns out he was showing the emergency room physician an app on his phone where he had been collecting his heart rate before and after soccer practice every day. And this, you know, afforded the ED physician the opportunity to get a baseline that was directly from the patient. So I think there's great advantages to including and using these data However, there are certainly a number of barriers that exist. So the two categories that I heard you say are, number one, patients who are looking to participate. So nothing necessarily happened. It's more of a, you told me to track my blood pressure. I am doing so. How can this help you, clinician, further my care plan, or does this affect my meds? I mean, I'm assuming that that the patients are collecting this, assuming that it's going to be actionable in some fashion. Is that the case? Absolutely. And I think we are getting to a tipping point where there's an expectation from the patient. So we have, you know, over a 10-year history with personal health records, with portals, exploring on how to engage with our patients better. Patient experience is a hot topic. So thinking about how we can connect with our patients once they leave that care experience. And so we've created these tools and created these ways for the patients to collect data and engage with us Now we have to figure out how to consume those data and use them in a way to encourage that continuation of engagement. So it's really creating that feedback loop or cycle of data sharing, if you will. It's often been said that a major contributor to, for example, readmissions or to bad outcomes is patients' inability to self-manage. So having that feedback loop in order to help the patients understand whether they are or are not adequately or optimally self-managing, that would seem to be kind of important. I definitely see the stakes here. I think you bring up a good point with the longitudinal care, especially when you're talking about chronic disease, and we certainly have issues around chronic disease management How can we use these tools? How can we use the data and information gathered with these tools to really give that comprehensive longitudinal care to support the patients in their self-management of chronic diseases? That's where I see the, the real value. Let's look at this now from the clinician side. You mentioned in your first story, patient comes in and they say either here's a binder of 
information that I have meticulously collected. If I'm a clinician and I'm looking at my watch because I've got three patients waiting, it might not, let's just say, fit into a timeline of a typical visit to be flipping through a binder, no matter how lovely it's tabbed. (laughs) And then obviously you've got the security issue of do you take someone's password and log into their account? That just seems, I don't know, um, problematic on a number of levels. I think bottom line, clinicians right now are confused. We want to do the right thing. We certainly want to encourage patients to continue in that that self-management. However, the barriers exist on a couple of levels. I think one at a very basic level, it's the technical side of things. How do we actually pull these data into the electronic medical record? How do we know that John Smith is the right John Smith in my system. Then coupled with that are some of the legal and compliance issues. What does that mean if we now include patient's data in the legal medical record? And what are those implications? How do we know that these data are of the right quality? How do we know that the devices collecting these data are calibrated appropriately? So there are a number of issues that I think we need to work through The good news is that we've spent quite a bit of time in the health IT world looking at the patient-facing side of things. So we have apps that are really optimized for the patient experience, and now it's about turning in the other direction and figuring out how we now optimize these data to be used in the clinical setting. And how do you start with that? That seems fairly daunting. So (laughs) what's step one? It certainly is. I think there are a couple of items that are uh, high on my list. I think it, it comes down to the data. And as you mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of time for consuming extra data. And I think we need to figure out, you know, from an informatics perspective, how we summarize and contextualize the data. Given that blood pressure example, a patient that has taken their blood pressure twice a day since their last visit two months ago, that is a quite a number of values that a clinician would be sifting through. So should we trend those? Should we only show the outliers? Um, how do we present those data? And then I think at another level is when do we present those data? Do we present them at the time a decision is being made? Do we maybe present them to another provider, such as a care coordinator that might be working between the visits, doing patient monitoring, contacting patients at home? So I think that the the who and the when are also other pieces that we need to explore. Summarizing what you just said, I'm distilling this down into four quadrants. Maybe what data, which would include what data, as well as its caliber. Secondly, how to present it. So are we showing a scatter plot or just a table or some kind of pie charts? Who do you show it to? And then when? Where in the clinical workflow? Have you kind of embarked on this yet? Or is this something that is still in the research phase to really nail? Or where are you in this process? I'm in the middle of a couple of research projects that are actually looking at matching some of the decision points or decision tasks 
that clinicians are making. Uh, This is in uh, particularly in regard to chronic diseases and what information collected by the patients match those decision points. So really looking at the information that's going to be of most value to the clinicians. And I think once we can understand some of those information needs, we can then move into the visualization side. So I guess you could say we are still at the very beginning stages of understanding how to use these data. You know, there's like 5,000 apps or something on the app store that have something health-related going on with them. If the object is to get these data points integrated within the clinical workflow as structured data, it would almost seem to be essential that instead of the patients going to the app store and finding their own random blood pressure hub, the provider organization is providing or prescribing the app to the patient and saying, use this one, because otherwise you'd have to integrate with a manifold of various and sundry, various quality apps. Yeah, there's certainly a number of activities going on in this space as well. So there is actually a a company called Xertia today that is looking at guidelines around these healthcare apps, not necessarily regulating, but more from a providing guidance and best practices for healthcare applications. So for instance, is the app based on some sort of uh, evidence? Are there clinical guidelines that support the use of this app? Uh, how is the privacy and security maintained? Uh, so I think that's that's one piece of it. So ensuring that there are appropriate apps. And then quite frankly, I believe that we should give the patients or empower patients to use an app of their choosing. Ultimately, we would like the patients to have their choice of apps and that there isn't a provider or healthcare organization that is forced to pick and choose particular applications. Uh, what would be great to see that, you know, we've got a trusted framework where patients and organizations know that an app is of high quality, that it meets, you know, security requirements. And that then factors in to the piece we just discussed earlier about trusting the data that comes from those apps. So I'm almost envisioning in my head some kind of catalog, and maybe it's mediated by Xertia or some third party, somebody who is going in and really assessing the apps. But then it's the hospital organization or the the health system that says, okay, here's a pick list, you know, here's our apps for high blood pressure. There's 10, pick any one of these. Do you have any thoughts on what this is going to look like at the end or, or maybe what the ideal would be? So I think potentially at the end of the day, the ideal is these are patients' data. And we want also, we want the exchange going in both directions. So not only is that it that patients are sharing their data with their clinicians, but it's also the opposite, that we are providing data back to the patients about their care. You know, that's where this concept of consumer-directed exchange comes into play. That ideal state, I think, is the patient has an app of their choosing, and we have an environment where it is 
easy or there's very little friction for the healthcare organization or individual provider practice to send data to the patient and vice versa that we're able to receive the data back. You know, again, I think that gets to that tipping point where patients are saying, hey, I want all of my data that you have, and I want to use my device. I want to use my healthcare app. This is how I want you to give it to me. (laughs) And I'm also going to send you data. And I'm going to send it from the app of my choosing. Now, we understandably have a lot of work to do before we get to that point, but I think that would be the ultimate state. So the ultimate state would be some sort of master repository that folds together and, you know, collates in some fashion the data the patient's collecting, the data the provider organization is providing. And like that all is available in some kind of, you know, PHR in the sky, it sounds like is what you're saying. Or just the fact that there is, you know, seamless data sharing. A patient can decide when they would like to stop sharing data with a particular provider and start sharing with another. I think this enhances the patient experience. I think this really gets to that holy grail of shared decision making. Because truly having patients as partners in their care, that data and information needs to flow easily. It has been said that patients don't want data, they want help, they want care. I could see that maybe there's a bell curve of patients, right? You've got the ones on the front end who actually maybe really do want the data because they're the quantified self types and they're in there meticulously making their own pivot tables. So you've got that very highly literate crew who is tinkering and has the skill to tinker with their own data. And then you've got that middle of the bell curve that basically just wants help. And the data might be a means to the end, but really they're not like the data is not any kind of end game. And then you probably have some portion of that bell curve, or maybe it's a slope, I don't really know, who they're not engaged. And this is not interesting. Do you see that different solutions are necessary for those different cohorts? So I think you're right that today we see chronic disease patients, as I mentioned. A lot of our transplant patients are very data savvy, quite involved in their care. However, I think when we look at some of the younger generations, in particular, I've done some work with pediatric asthma. And you've got newer generations that are absolutely going to expect that they can receive their data, that they can do their own analyses. While at this point in time, we might have that bell curve, and I think that's exactly what it is, I believe we're going to see that shift. And I think that shift is going to happen very quickly. I interviewed Ethan Bosch, Dr. Ethan Bosch on this program a couple of years ago, and he had created an oncology tool, basically oncology patients at home collecting data. Then it was reviewed by oncology nurses, and and they found a startling increase in survivorship. It was better than the best new drugs, something like six months. So it it was a striking improvement in patient outcomes that was able to be attained by patients collecting their own data and then having health care professionals looking at that information and using it as appropriate. One of the things that was really essential that they had to work through in that example 
was when do the alarms go off on the provider side? All these patients are collecting all of this data. It would be umpteen full-time jobs to sift through it. So one of the hardest things that they had to calibrate was when does the red flag fly? And such that someone in the oncology office is notified that someone needs to reach out to this patient because there's an issue. How do you wrestle with that? Getting deeper into the clinician issues and to your point, getting into some of the alerts or what we like to call clinical decision support, I think on both the clinician and the patient side, we are also going to want to get to a place where it's not just data that we're looking at, but as we like to say in informatics, these data are translated into information and from information translated into knowledge. What that means is that the data are used to provide decision support. So you might not see the data themselves. They're working behind the scenes to fire those alerts, to tell the pediatric asthma patient, hey, we see that there are a high number of pollutants in your area today. Please carry your inhaler. And this is happening today in some of the healthcare apps. So I think you're absolutely right that it is a high burden on the provider to look at all the individual data elements. And I think this is a whole nother body of work and research to look at how these data can support clinical decisions and decisions for the patients themselves. Yeah, I definitely see, you know, the app itself can respond based on some sort of algorithm or artificial intelligence or something or other. You don't necessarily need anybody to be looking up weather data. That's something that many apps can handle by themselves. But then you've got this other kind of overlay where it really does take human judgment. And there's a lot of issues, obviously, in healthcare where that's the case, where you really need someone to be assessing the various data points to determine whether an intervention is necessary or whether this is, in fact, a clinical decision support moment. And I feel like in that third category where you need a provider interface, I mean, you really almost need a provider dashboard in order to be proactively intervening. And I could just see that that would be tough if the app wasn't in some way linked between the provider organization and the patient. It just seems that like in a case where you are like in that oncology app, it almost would seem to need to be prescribed by the organization. Do you see that there's kind of different scenarios where in certain cases it would be appropriate for the provider organization to, in quotes, prescribe the app? And in other cases, the consumer can go find it themselves or the patient can go find it themselves? Or are you basically saying in all or most cases, the patient would be well advised to locate something that works for them? Oh, I think absolutely. Today, as we are still learning and understanding how to care for patients given this new environment of digital health, I think there are absolutely cases where there might want to be a particular app that's explored in detail. Because you're you're right, right now it is a bit of a wild west. And I think to really support the clinical workflows, having some particular apps that you're working with could certainly be helpful. This is new. This is new for clinicians, you know, and this is being talked about in a number of different environments where we have extra data. We we used to not know what went on in between visits or in between care episodes. And now we have 
a lot of extra data and information to support longitudinal care, to provide outreach to patients. So I think it's going to require work, you know, in a number of different directions. And above all, as clinicians, we're trained to use all available data to treat and care for our patients. And now how do we operate with these extra data given some of the limited timeframes? Where we are in the continuum right now, so maybe I'm asking for some actionable advice for the clinicians or managers who are listening to this and who are dealing with an everyday scenario of patients walking in the door with sheafs of paper or here I've written down on this tiny little piece of paper my username and password. And they're being expected to use these this information for clinical decision support. Meanwhile, you know, you just hear every day that it's not data anymore, it's noise. Like there's just so much data being tossed at clinicians these days that it's just overwhelming. Do you have any right now advice for clinicians who find themselves in these circumstances or for, you know, medical directors or managers or, or anybody who is managing a practice or a clinic where this is going on? What do I do right now? My first piece of advice is understand your organizational policies at this time. Do they even exist? And if they don't, and if this is of interest, get involved in creating those policies on how to bring digital data into their environment. And then as an organization or even as an individual provider practice, I recommend starting with general awareness. Understand your patients today. What's their level of tech readiness? Do you have patients that are using health apps? You know, generally when, you know, I'm in audiences talking about patient-generated health data, over half the room has some sort of healthcare application installed on their phone that they are using. So I think understanding what your current state is. Secondly, looking one level deeper at your electronic medical record. Are you in a place where you can consume these data? What does that look like? I think a lot of organizations right now are preparing for the new CMS rules that we, we hope to see a final version uh, by the end of this year. And at a very basic level, those rules say if a patient requests their data, we must be technically prepared to give it to them in a manner of their choosing, thinking about how to mobilize around that. And then lastly, training clinicians, you know, to act on these data. How can we ensure that the data are trusted? Uh, you know, what is the work we need to do around preparing the frontline staff to answer patient questions and to meaningfully engage with the data? You had mentioned earlier at the very beginning of this conversation, the when and the who and how. So let's just take, <laughs> take them as a little bundle. Is there any best practices that have come out of your work or the work of Node relative to the who, when, and the how? Like, is this something that you tell all the patients? And if you're going to show up with data that you've collected, you got to send it over five days in advance. You know what I mean? Like, what are maybe some thoughts that you might have on best ways to do this? Sure. You touched upon it briefly with that cancer example. I think we're finding that having those intermediary providers 
to assist with those data that might be shared between visits. That is showing some successes there. I think looking at that, if your organization has the resources to support something like that. And then I think a lot of these pieces are very contingent on the type of disease. So there are different disease states that might require different interventions or different individuals. So I would recommend looking at what the common problems are of the organization or practice, you know, plan accordingly there. There might be the case where there will not be the opportunity to have a intermediary provider such as a care coordinator. And those data may need to go directly to the clinician. And then on the flip side, we've done some great work using community health workers and collecting data in the homes and helping patients collect their data through mobile apps. So I think exploring uh, where your organization is, what the resources are, and, you know, again, talking and sharing with other like organizations to see what's working. So it sounds like one really good step would be to sit down and aggregate the information, like what are patients doing? What are they walking in with? And then trying to figure out what good would look like as a process. What are maybe some solutions that you've come up with for how patients best can share in the absence of necessarily having a, everyone's going to use this app and we're all going to use this dashboard because it's already integrated? You mentioned the organizational readiness. I just want to touch on that for a moment. I think you would probably be pretty hard pressed to find a large organization that does not have a provider that is already doing this in some fashion or thinking about it or playing around with it and testing it. So I would recommend engaging with those individuals, get them involved, find out what their informal testing has, you know, has shown. And then from the you know, you're mentioning if the, the patients are coming in right now. I think, again, it's just understanding what the patients are using, what their level of interest is in sharing these data permanently, exploring what the possibilities are given the organizational readiness. Got it. And Vicki, is there anything that I neglected to ask you that you think is important to mention? I would just like to accentuate the need to think about consumer-directed exchange. So even though the focus of our discussion is really focused on how we are bringing these patient-generated data into the clinical environment, I really think having that bi-directional exchange is going to be very important where we are arming patients with their own healthcare data and that they are empowered to use it. That will really get us to a point where we are learning from each other and advancing the work in this area. I will see you, Vicki, at the Node event coming up in New York City in December. Is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to at that event? I am just excited to learn from those that are testing ideas. One of my favorite parts of the conference is our Node Innovation Awards. So essentially, we invite startups to submit their product ideas, and we will highlight those at different points in the conference. And I think that's just a very exciting way to see you know, what's new and cutting edge out there. 
and where we can really move the needle and push the envelope when it comes to digital medicine. And if someone is interested in learning more about the work that you're doing, Vicki, how could people learn more? The best place to find more out about the work that I'm doing is on Twitter. And my handle is at uh, VTIASE, V-T-I-A-S-E. So would love to engage with you there. Or please join us at the Digital Medicine Conference this December. Vicki Tiazzi, thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today. Thank you, Stacey. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.